The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, December 25th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Christmas to all of you. For those who don't know me, my name is Raymond and I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you can all be here with us this morning. Do me a big favor, get your Bibles out, turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll start there this morning in just a little bit. But I'm sure a lot of you are like me. I'm sure, I'm sure there are certain things you look forward to at Christmas time. So I know for me, we have some traditions and one of those is I just love seeing our girls come down in the morning in their matching PJs or their, their almost matching PJs, depending on what we could find that year. Uh, I love Heather's Christmas casserole. Uh, I, I, love, I love gathering as a church the way we did last night for our Lessons in Carol service on Christmas Eve. Wasn't that great for those of you who are here? I just love those little things. I, lo- I love seeing the Murphy Von Trapps come up here at our, at our Christmas, our annual Christmas service. It's, I look forward to all these things every year, and, and I also love, I love watching certain Christmas movies, and, and so every year, at some point, I usually get around to watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Can't do without it. Uh, and, and you know that, that, that part at the end where he finds what he thinks is the perfect Christmas tree, he brings it back, everybody laughs at him, and he gets so frustrated, and after a while, it's just Charlie Brown and Linus. And Charlie Brown yells out in his frustration that all-important question, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? I like Pentatonix Christmas albums too. And if I were to let the Pentatonix answer that question from one of their Christmas songs, here's what it would sound like. The fireplace is burning bright, shining all on me. I see the presence underneath the good old Christmas tree. And I'll wait all night till Santa comes to wake me from my dreams. Oh, why? Because that's Christmas to me. Now, for full disclosure, I love the Pentatonix. I love their Christmas albums. I think I have all of them. Um, But I think you'd agree with me that if God himself were to write a song entitled, That's Christmas to Me, the first verse would sound a little different. So here's what I want to do today. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 14, and we're going to try to get heaven's perspective on the true meaning of Christmas. Heaven's perspective on the meaning of Christmas by listening to what the angels had to say that morning. All right, I'll read the passage for us, and then I'll pray right after that. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And while they were there, that is Joseph and Mary, in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for gathering us here today on on Christmas morning. Please help us to get a sense of what Christmas should mean to us today, what it means to you, and help us to honor you in the way that we approach this special holiday. And we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, Three Christmas reminders, I'll call them. Three reminders of what Christmas really means. And the first one is this. Christmas is an occasion for great joy. Christmas is an occasion for great joy, no matter what else is going on. Now, for some of us, we immediately resonate with that. Everything about this time of year feels happy and joyful. But for others of us, if we're honest, for one reason or another, sadness seems to be what comes to us more quickly and naturally at this time. Perhaps we've just lost a loved one, and it's really the first time we're trying to get through the holiday without that very special person. Whatever the case is, some of you know what it feels like to be in that second category of reasons for sadness at Christmas time. If that's you, we want to encourage you this morning. We want to encourage you with the words of this very first angel to arrive on the scene. This great joy that the angel announces in verse 10 is still possible for you because it depends upon one thing and one thing only. The fact that Jesus has come into the world and that he has come specifically for people like you and for me. People who need forgiveness. People who need a Savior. Notice the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for, or because, unto you, not just unto Joseph and Mary, but unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This great joy is joy because of Jesus. Joy because of of an objective reality that will never change and never be moved and never diminish in its significance. Joy because our sins have been or can be forgiven. And therefore, this is joy that nothing and no one can take away. First Christmas reminder for you this morning is that Christmas is, regardless of anything else going on, an occasion for great joy. And then... God brings in a multitude of other angels for the next two reminders. The second Christmas reminder I want to leave you with this morning is this. Only Jesus can fix this sin-broken world. Now hear me very closely. Only Jesus can fix this sin-broken world. If anyone was tempted... If anyone was tempted to doubt God's absolute determination 
to rescue his people and his created world from our sin and what we brought into this world to spoil it, then Christmas night should have removed all doubts. God sent no less than his very own son, Jesus, into the world to begin the work that would fix this place once and for all. It's as if on Christmas night, you got to remember the story and, and everything that came before this moment. It's as if on Christmas night, God said to us, you know what? We've witnessed thousands of years of what your best efforts can do. A lot of well-intentioned people over thousands of years who tried to fix whatever part of the world they could, and God says, you know what? It's still broken beyond repair. This world is still broken. You'll never be able to fix it yourselves. In fact, you're kind of part of the problem. You couldn't fix this thing if we gave you a thousand lifetimes, a perfect set of laws, which we have, and wisdom from God's own mouth. No, I'm sending my son. Only he can fix this thing. That is one of the things God says to us at Christmas time. Friends, it is still the same today. God, Isaiah 42, 8, will not share his glory with another. There is no other person or group who will fix this thing. Just as God was determined to rescue us in his world from sin, he was equally determined to do it in a way that would leave no doubt about where the glory and credit deserved once he fixed it. There is no other person or group, however well-intentioned or resourced. There is no political figure, no political party, no social movement from the left or the right that will ever fix this place. Why? Because God has determined that he should get all the glory when it happens. And so the angels sang glory to God in the highest. Because when he accomplishes all he set out to do to save you, to save me, to save this world, to restore it to what it should always be, all the glory is going to him. I'll, I'll give you an illustration. This is, allow me to come down from that for just a moment to talk about something that happens here on earth, a kind of earthly glory. Did you see the world come? There's a kind of earthly soccer glory that I'm about to talk about. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, are we still talking about soccer? That thing is done and gone. You don't want to hear about soccer again. I know, I understand. But again, as, as we said, this world is broken. Not everybody is as crazy about soccer as they should be. The world is broken. God's going to fix this place. But if, you, if, you've, if you've watched any of this, then you know that the real story of what just happened is Lionel Messi of Argentina lifted the World Cup for the very first time. I would say inarguably now, the greatest player to ever play the number one sport in the world finally lifted the one trophy that has always eluded him to this point. I got some booze already, but that's all right. And you will never hear another word spoken about Emiliano Martinez or Gonzalo Montiel. Emiliano Martinez, who's that? He's the goalkeeper who saved that penalty kick, who saved the breakaway at the end of or overtime, who, who, who went, I mean, he just had a little dance when he saved those things. He, he was fabulous. 
Gonzalo Montiel, he hit the last and decisive penalty kick to let Messi lift that trophy. But all the soccer glory will go to Lionel Messi for what Argentina did on that pitch. In a much more important way, no matter how significant a role any individual in God's plan might play, even Mary herself, who, who has the most prominent role in bringing Jesus into the world, there will be no sharing of glory in the end. Glory to God in the highest. Christmas would remind us this morning that only Jesus can fix this sin-broken world and God will get all the glory. And there's one more reminder I want to leave you with. The third reminder is here in what the angels sang as well. Not only glory to God in the highest, but on earth... Peace among whom with those among whom with with among those with whom God is pleased. Now, third reminder: because Jesus has come into the world, there is now peace for some. Some of the, the some of the songs we listen to say just peace on earth, or peace, goodwill to all men. The Bible, the messengers God sent from heaven, the angels sang on earth peace among a very specific group of people. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. That was much easier to say the second time. That leaves us with a very important question this morning. How can we know if we are included in this group of people with whom God is pleased? I'll tell you. And to give you the answer, I want you to flip with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 6. And I introduce you to a man named Enoch. Lived a long time ago. You've got to go way back early in the book of Genesis to read a little thing about Enoch very interesting character. He never actually died. He was taken up into heaven by a miracle, taken up alive to be with the Lord. And here's what we hear about Enoch when he is mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 5 and 6, it says there, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So we can get some help from Enoch here. He was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6. And we know that without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Literally in the Greek, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, true and genuine faith, it is absolutely impossible to please God in the way that the Bible is speaking about that here in a way that would land us within the group of people the angels pronounced now had peace because of Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, 
no matter how good we may appear to others, no matter how good we may think we are when we compare ourselves to others, no matter how well we keep the requirements of any particular religion or recommended moral system, without faith, the Bible is plain. It is impossible to please God. And the rest of verse 6 tells us why. Let's look at it together. The rest of verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him for... Because, here's why it's impossible. Whoever would draw near to God must believe, at a minimum, two things. That he exists, and, has to be both, that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because without faith, you won't believe God exists, And you sure won't believe that he will actively and positively respond to you as a rewarder of seeking him. You won't believe God exists. You won't believe that he'll actively and positively respond to you. And therefore, you won't draw near to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because without faith, you will never draw near to God. in the way that actually causes you to benefit from what Christ did on that cross. You will never draw near to God to have the kind of relationship you and I were always created to have with Him. And that is what pleases Him. That is what pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible for us to draw near to God in that way. With a true faith, with a sincere and humble heart, to the pleasure of God. So let me ask you this morning, and believe it or not, we're beginning to close. Do you believe that God exists? I don't take for granted that everyone who walked in here this morning believes that. And so I'm taking a moment to ask you, do you Believe that God exists. Maybe I should ask it this way. Do you still believe that God exists? Do you believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him? Would you put yourself in the category of people who seek him? Is that still something characteristic of your heart and your life? Do you believe that God will actively and positively respond to you if you humbly and sincerely approach his throne for the mercy and the grace that he promised? And I guess the most important question then, will will you draw near to him this morning? Whether for the first time ever or for the first time in a while. And And I... I hope this helps some of you. I, I, I feel like I need to do that. I need to do this today. I have found myself occupied with many distractions, not the least of which was the World Cup. But I, more importantly than that, I, I know 
I know if I look back at my life, I can tell you there were moments where, you know what? I was less distracted here. My heart was more fully seeking the Lord. And, and then there's right now. And I'm hoping that right now for me is changed in part by what God has, has shown to me through as I prepared for this, what he's saying to all of us now. I want my heart to be more free, less distracted, and more in that place of seeking the Lord diligently in the way that it says here. I want that for all of us. And I think that can be, that can be another gift that God gives to us this Christmas. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Some of you are saying, I, I want to do that too. I want to draw near to the Lord. How do I do that? John chapter 12, verse 32. You don't have to flip there, but, but listen with your whole heart. Jesus says there in John chapter 12, verse 32, speaking of the kind of death that he would die. He says, I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And that's not just men, that's women too. That's all people. This Jesus who was once laid in a manger eventually was laid upon a cross. The, the real tree that God wants to bring us all to this morning. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You don't even have to figure out how to draw yourself to God. You don't have to figure out how to be drawn in his direction. Just look at Jesus. Look in your heart. Look at what he's doing for you on the cross. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe he rewards those who seek him? Do you believe that when Jesus died, he died in your place? Do you believe that he did it to pay for the sins that you and I committed? Do you believe that God accepted his sacrifice? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Do you believe that he will pardon all your sins, no matter how bad, if you just look to him in faith? Do you believe? Look to Jesus he knows how to draw you to himself. He knows what to do with a sincere heart. Don't try to figure out anything else and don't let anything else get in your way. Come to Jesus this morning. In fact, in the words of that, that song, O Holy Night, I love that we sing some of the less popular verses. But it says here, Come then to him who lies within the manger. With humble shepherds proclaim him as Lord. Let not the promised son remain a stranger. In reverent worship, make Christ your adored. And I think we would do no harm to the truth when we say, James 4a, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. But at Christmas time, I'd like to say it this way, and I think it's, I think it's safe. Draw near to the Lord because he has drawn near to you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you. We thank you so much for the ultimate Christmas gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for reminding us today that only Jesus can fix this sin-broken world. And that because of Jesus, Christmas really can and should be for us a time of great joy and for peace as we draw near to you in our hearts in full assurance of faith. We thank you so much, Lord, and look forward to celebrating the rest of this day with you front and center in our hearts. And we ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. 
You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.